Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Kick 360 is back. Tuesday edition is here with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Koharski is out today, a part of the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection process that's going on today uh, and the entire day as they go through all of the finalists to determine the class of 2022. We are live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine and the entire OutKick crew making the show happen for us. Glad you're with us. You can chime in on social media, Outkick360 is where you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and on YouTube where you can join the live chat. Chad, big show today. We've got Pro Football Doc on, Dr. David Chow from Outkick. We're going to talk specifically about the Derrick Henry return to game action process. Back from the broken foot, he's on the practice field today for the Tennessee Titans. They're uh, in a padded practice today. Uh, Vrabel said that Henry would be a part of that, and all signs point to him being activated for this coming week against the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll, we'll discuss that from a, a doctor's perspective who's observed some of the practice footage and has a different take on things than what we may be able to observe. We'll get into that in about an hour and 15 minutes. That's at 3.20 uh, Central Time, 4.20 Eastern. And then uh, later, Josh Pate will join us from 24-7 Sports. Uh, late kick on uh, 24-7 and on YouTube. Looking forward to uh, chatting with Josh about all things college football, transfer portal, and much more. Man, uh, I was hoping for a good game last night. That was not the case. Well, especially with our uh, playoff team draft, Hutton, you were uh, hoping for a better game from Arizona because you're down to one team, <laughs> and that's the Tennessee Titans that's left uh, in our draft that, that's still alive. That was a... Bad performance. The Cardinals looked lost. And really, they looked lost ever since DeAndre Hopkins went down. And this is a troubling theme for Cliff Kingsbury coach yes. teams with the Cardinals where they are collapsing late in season. And that was, now that it's over, and now that we've seen the, the finish to their season, losing the way they did in L.A. in the, in the wild card round of the playoffs, the way the season started, 7-0 and for Arizona, we now know this is a recurring problem for Cliff Kingsbury and that Cardinals team. They were bad well, last night. And they wanted to return this year with uh, the identity-changing type season. And they started out that way. There, there was discussion you know, all offseason about how they finished 2020, where they, they started strong and finished flat. I believe they lost uh, last season – they lost five of their final seven games, and they finished eight and eight and missed out on the playoffs, not because they faced some gauntlet down the stretch, but because the Cardinals had a ton of penalties and turnovers that ended up losing them games, costing them games. And they went to the offseason saying, hey, it's year three with Kingsbury and Murray paired together. Uh, they bring in some key pieces uh, through trades, and they have some free agent additions. But for the most part, it's a young core that was back for year three. 
And I bought into it. And they started strong. The last unbeaten team this season when it was all said and done. And then, just like last year, they collapsed and fell flat on their face down the stretch. They lost five of their final six games, including the throttling that took place last night uh, on behalf of the, the Rams. And this was... This was a game plan that was puzzling to me. They they came into it, Chad, and it looked like Kingsbury was saying, hey, we, we, we have to attack the weakness of the Rams' defense, which is the safeties, the backup safeties that were playing in the game for Raheem Morris' defense. The problem with that is, right out of the shoot, is it did nothing to get Murray in rhythm, and it played right into the hands of the Rams' front. I think you have to ask the question if you're facing L.A. is can you block them up front? Arizona, it was decided early in that game. They could not. And they never altered from the game plan, which is everything deep. They didn't go anything intermediate. They didn't do anything uh, east to west. They tried to go north and south against that defense, and it was over by halftime. It was over by the second quarter. You could just feel that game done. Well, and it, it, I, I'm watching it. I'm watching this collapse, which again is is a pattern now with Cliff Kingsbury. And I'm thinking to myself, is this a coach that's going to be in trouble that we're not talking about right now? He's got one year left on his contract, his current contract with Arizona. I mean, I think he'll be back uh, to serve out that contract and see what happens a year from now. But I, I think it's legitimate to ask questions now about the roster they have, and again, I know, look, they lost DeAndre Hopkins. That's going to be a huge loss for anyone, but every NFL team is losing some star or some big player throughout the season, so that's not different from other teams. Um, but to ask the question of, is Cliff Kingsbury the right guy to lead this group, I, I think we're probably going to get at least one more year where he can prove it next year and they can not collapse at the end of the season. Uh, but I'm watching that last night thinking maybe Cliff Kingsbury's in trouble and we weren't really thinking about that. You know, when they were starting 7-0 and this season, obviously, no one was thinking about that possibility. Well, there's so many so many really nice pieces to the way they, they have built their organization structurally, um, roster-wise. But, you know, the, the game plan last night with all these slow-developing plays, defensively, they played scared against that Rams offense. They had a light box. They were worried about getting beat over the top. Light box. And L.A. came out and ran it right at them with Cam Akers and Sonny Michelle. And uh, they they controlled the tempo and pace of that, of, of that game. Matthew Stafford threw, what, 18 passes in the game? That's all they needed. And they, they just completely whipped the Arizona Cardinals. I, I thought it was uh, it, this was a case of McVay out-coaching Kingsbury to the max yesterday. And then... Look, I, I don't think he's I don't think he's getting fired, but there was a lot of pressure on him coming into the season to get to the postseason and do something. And they they collapsed down the stretch with losing five of their six and losing out on that division title where they lose to the Seahawks in the final week of the season and then lose on Monday night uh, to their division rival. It, it's not a good way to finish. Murray looked just discombobulated. Uh, you know, at the start of the year. He was making some of those circus-type throws I refer to. Last night, he looked the shell of himself compared to September and October. He looked lost. I mean, he looked like a guy who was taking the snap and immediately his feet were moving in a way that he was going to try to sprint out in one direction or the other, completely unsure of himself, completely unsure of the offense. Uh, he was terrible. And that, uh, I mean, it was the worst play we've seen from a quarterback in the playoffs so far. 
where he's trying to get rid of it in the end zone and throws an easy pick six to David Long Jr. That was the the low point of the game. Um, I just watched that Cardinals team, and I think, man, that they, they looked the, the word that I keep coming back to is lost. They look well, lost at the end of the year. They look lost in that game. And on the flip side of this, Matthew Stafford was on a, under a ton of pressure going into last night. I was watching the Manning cast, and and I thought Peyton Manning said it well early. They didn't spend a lot of time on the pressure on Matthew Stafford, but Peyton early on said, look, he's 0-3 in playoff games. He said, I was 0-3 at one point in my career. He said, Matt's going to say all these coach-speak cliche things about just another game. I'm going to treat it that way. He said, it's not just another game. This is important for him to get off the schneid and win a playoff game. There's a lot of pressure on Matthew Stafford in this game. And Hutton, he's 12 for 17 in the game. They didn't have to ask him to do much because of a dominant game plan and the way the team played and how poorly the Cardinals played. He's going to have to do something big Oh yeah, if they're going to win in the next round. Everyone knows that, but that was still a big moment for Matthew Stafford where he was very efficient and he did everything asked of him last night. And most importantly for Stafford, he didn't blow it for him. It was That's a, really what was needed last night from him. It was a great plan to get Stafford going and off and rolling into the postseason. Um, 154 passer rating. Uh, more importantly, only attempted, as Chad just mentioned, 17 passes. They ran the football 38 times. And that's not because they got up by 21 and then started running clock. That was their game plan, was to come out and establish the run with Cam Akers, who... I'm, we'll, we can get into this with uh, with Dr. David Chow, pro football doc later. It is amazing the dude tore his Achilles six months ago, and he's running like that in the wild card weekend of the playoffs. He he was he was rolling. Um, but the, the run game, I'm with you. I don't know if they can go to Tampa and run the football with the same success that they just did against Arizona, against that Bucks run defense, which is number one uh, in the NFC in that category. And we saw them stop the top-rated rushing offense this past weekend in Philadelphia. But last night, the Rams looked like they, they could go on the road and beat the Bucks just as much as or better than the, what we might think the, the 49ers would have done, or certainly the Cardinals in this case. It was definitely, I mean, just look at both performances. Uh, Tampa and L.A. had two of the best performances on Super Wild Card weekend. So I think it's easy to look at those two teams, the way they played in their playoff games, and think this is going to be a great game. I think it is going to be a great game. I think it's a terrific matchup. Um, but the moment I start thinking about how great LA looked last night, I also think about what's well, thirty-one nothing. Yeah, I mean, and, and well, the, the Bucks made it look very easy, also, just to, like LA did against Arizona. I, I immediately saw the tweets last night after the the, the game went final of, oh, this, this LA team is just going to go throttle Tampa. Not going to happen. Their, I mean, there. What's not going to happen is Odell Beckham Jr. had forty. He had 40 yards passing in the third quarter. That was 12 yards more than Kyler Murray had at one point in the third quarter. At one point, Odell Beckham Jr. was outpassing Kyler Murray in the second half. That's not happening with Brady and the Bucs, uh, with Gronk at tight end and with Mike Evans on the outside. So um, it, it makes for a great matchup, though. The Rams looked really good. Um, you're right about their plan and and how they just sat on the run game and got Stafford going and in rhythm. Didn't ask too much from him. He didn't turn the football over because again he only threw the ball 18 times. But that's the that's the way to get some momentum going in the postseason. That's a big win for them as they now advance and move forward. And for the pressure that's on Stafford, there's also pressure on McVay to get back and win it. They're all in 
And they're all in with the coach that, you know, everyone felt was the second coming until he matched up with Belichick in the Super Bowl. Um, also uh, noteworthy that on the Manning cast uh, this season, they had Marshawn Lynch drop an F-bomb. They yeah. had Eli Manning give a double bird uh, on camera, not knowing that that was uh, also an FCC violation. And last night you had Peyton Manning saying, and I quote, I don't hear bleep live on air uh, during the, the telecast. I thought it was hilarious. Um, that is a hot mic moment that is a lesson for, for Peyton Manning. And the lesson is <laughs> the game is going. If you're talking into your mic, even if you can't hear and a show's happening, assume that mic is on. At all times. Yeah, well, especially when it's like, it's one thing if your producer doesn't pull your mic down during a break and we hear him talking to Eli during a commercial and he's you know dropping F-bombs, <laughs> S-bombs, whatever bombs you want, not the type of bombs he dropped as a quarterback in the NFL. That's one thing. It's another thing when they're back from break, you're clearly watching the game happen on your monitor and you're saying, I don't hear bleep. I thought it was funny. Uh, it was a nice glimpse into uh, you know the behind the scenes Peyton Manning in that moment. And uh, look, I thought the Manning cast was exactly what you wanted it to be for season one. It was a departure from the average broadcast and for people that don't want to just follow the average broadcast. And I bounced around a little bit last night. Typically, if the game's close in the fourth quarter, I would go to the, the normal broadcast. I think Steve Levy and Riddick and that crew, they, they do a nice job also. But I thought purpose served for Manning cast season one and that it was something different. It highlighted the two brothers' personalities and especially their personality with each other, which they play well off of each other. They had a great guest list throughout. Last night was no different. I think it was a success. I don't think it's, you know, I think the Twitter response to it is probably overblown based on what the actual ratings would show, uh, but it's a very inside football slash inside pop culture look at a Monday night football game throughout the season. I, I thought it was really well done. Well, and, and just to, it goes to show how popular it was. They had NFL media members live tweeting this like they're sitting in a press box live tweeting play-by-play -play of a game. They're live tweeting what Peyton and Eli are saying and like, oh, what a funny little clip by Peyton on this. You know, we're, we're seeing that from some of the national media members. I didn't tune into it last night. I was watching um, the, the special broadcast on ESPN Plus with Orlovsky and, and others from their, their NFL live set, which is really good as they're breaking down plays and trying to go through uh, the lineup. There was one point, uh, Orlovsky was awesome on this, where there was uh, McVay had to take a timeout because there was third and two. It was third and two, but it appeared as though it could be a third and three type play call. And he goes, this is a situation where you don't want to take a timeout, but here's the difference between third and three and third and two. And he goes through the, the playbook on how you know, third and two is nearly 100% run and you're getting a run call in to your quarterback. But if there's just a hesitant, if you're just slightly unsure about how close you are to three yards, maybe you've got some type of special play to your tight end that you worked and you're getting both in while you try to figure out the down and distance. And before you know it, he's calling the timeout asking for measurement. That that. That part of it interests me, especially during a blowout. I didn't even know that was an option, or I would have uh, tuned into a little bit of that as well. I, I had no clue that was on ESPN+. And, um, and he I, knows Stafford well from his time in Detroit. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll also say this about the round one of the playoffs. It was a bust. It, it was not good. This was a bad weekend of football. Um, and I know Paul's not here right now. I love the NFL, 
but this is an example that even the NFL sometimes can produce a bunch of duds. And that's exactly outside of one game. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what this weekend uh, produced with playoff football. And it's not what anyone bargained for. Everyone watched. Uh, I'm sure of that. Uh, but this was, if we're going to call out college football for a lot of non-competitive playoff games, which there are, let's say the same for the NFL this weekend. It was terrible. Now, the seventh team and the race for that seven spot and the extra spot in the playoffs did produce a better week 18. You know, the added 17th game, you had a lot more one-score games in the final week of the regular season where teams were playing for more as opposed to, to seasons past, but it also produced a super wild-card weekend that was anything but super. Well, and it goes back to a previous topic we brought up and discussed on the show where it was early December, and I was pointing out, like, this is not your typical offensive league right now. The numbers were down, scoring was down, it was like week 12 through week 15 or 16 where offenses were really sputtering. There, there was the, the haves and the have-nots this year in the NFL. There's that upper shelf, and then there's a drop-off to that next tier. And it was evident last night, and it was evident throughout the regular season. We saw some really horrific quarterback play. I think that's a big part of the problem. It's a really these bad games. coaching. Look, last night, well, yes, last yes, night was more about Kingsbury than Murray. I, I agree, but Mac Jones, not good. Jalen Hurts, not good. Uh, Kyler Murray, not good. Coaching, bad in, in some of those situations also. I'm probably leaving someone else off the list and another blowout that I'm forgetting about. But there were some really spectacularly bad quarterback performances in some of these games uh, that helped lead to some of these blowouts. And, I mean, look, that's oh, Roethlisberger also. But we knew what Roethlisberger was going into it. Uh, I, I think that's a, that's a big part of it. it. Look, you don't have to have a, you know, a great quarterback to produce a great game if you have a great game plan and you know what you're doing and the quarterback has a role. But this was an example of quarterbacks who aren't very good or quarterbacks who have a chance to be good at some point thrown into a playoff situation that – terribly underperformed well I think we go from the worst weekend of the the playoffs to the best with the matchups we have the four games coming up this weekend we'll, we'll get into that but when we come back we will discuss the teams that are not remaining the haves and the have-nots clearly defined and there are it's not just about the players there are some head coaches and general managers that have some soul searching to do right now and there's some teams that typically you don't hear from or you do hear from this time of year that are not representing the, the final four teams in either conference. We'll get into that. Plus, San Francisco and Jimmy G. What would a win do to change the quarterback storyline? Is it already determined that they're, they're dealing him this offseason? Or could a run to a Super Bowl change their overall plan? We're back in April. They knew they were going to be done with him at this time of year. And now they're continuing to win. The, He's been to the playoffs now. This is his third time. He has a chance to make his second Super Bowl run in three playoff appearances with the 49ers. We'll get into the, the opportunity ahead for Jimmy Garoppolo, plus the coaching search updates. There's, there's a lot of news there, and a couple prime candidates who are getting a lot of looks. Mike Mayock fired by the Las Vegas Raiders, and uh, Elway and Manning, it looks as though they're going, they're competing 
um, with different ownership groups trying to purchase the Denver Broncos. I, I have got, strong thoughts on this. We've got, I, I can't wait to talk about this Broncos ownership story we, with those two. We've got that and much more throughout the show. First, though, Aurora NutriScience, VitaLifeScience.com is the website, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. Uh, supplements, vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione, and much, much more. You can visit VitaLifeScience.com, and you receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills and capsules, not well absorbed. Most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements. Encapsulated in liposomes, that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I personally use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, and glutathione. But if you're a weekend warrior, if you take medication for high cholesterol... There are other benefits for you at VitaLifeScience.com. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. Live from 6th and Peabody in beautiful Music City. Oh, it's Nashville, gorgeous. Tennessee. Beautiful today. Um, we've got the, the venue out here. Place is going to be packed this coming week with the divisional playoffs in town. You can come check out the distillery, the brewery, and the biggest screens that you can find indoor or outdoor. It's all here at 6th and Peabody. Grab your moonshine, grab your beer, uh, get ready for game day. Titans and Bengals playing in Nashville to kick off the divisional weekend. You would be uh, grabbing your favorite moonshine flavor. Chad, they've got them all. They, got, they have the kaleidoscope out here. The kaleidoscope of moonshine, as I call it, is a wonderful sight to behold, especially when the sun is shining here in Nashville, Tennessee, downtown Nashville like it is today, shining through the colors outside. We're everywhere on this show. We're on radio. Uh, we're on uh, social media right now. If you're watching the show, you're hearing it, we're on radio. We're also on inside of 6th and Peabody inside the uh, the bar area right now. So a special message to anyone that's outside right now that may be watching this right outside of our studio, getting ready to ha have a fine beverage. Uh, my Chad Withrow recommendation is the Butter Pecan Moonshine. If you're in for just a tasting, a sipping of the moonshine, if a cocktail is more your style, go with the Blackberry Lemonade. That is always a safe bet. Uh, that's a favorite order of ours when we're here. You really can't go wrong. I'm a cerveza guy. Yeah. Uh, I've said this before. Um, I'm weird about beers and that I really like Mexican and Italian beers. I'm more of a beach beer guy, so I like the cerveza here with Yeehaw. Uh, but you really can't, can't go wrong. So uh, come join us if you're outside right now. Though That's what you should order uh, at this moment. Uh, but if you're thinking about a trip to Nashville, come down, see us, our studio here at 6th and Peabody. Uh, we love doing the show from here every day. You you got a, an eyebrow raise from David Reed over there. Reed, what do you what are you raising your eyebrow? About? I, that was just the most hipster thing I've ever heard Chad say. He's into Italian beers, which I didn't even know <laughs> yeah, was I, a, a thing. Well, I say I say Italian beers. Yeah, it's yeah. really Peroni. That's the only Italian beer I'm even familiar with. <laughs> but I love Peroni. If I'm just gonna have a six pack to drink beer while grilling out or something, it's uh it's Peroni or any. Mexican style beer. That that's my go-to with beer. I'm more of a uh, Cerveza is the go-to here. I, I'm more of a, a bourbon guy. And by the way, they even have that here, also uh, at Sixth and Peabody. So a, a little bit of everything for everyone, including uh, David Reed, because they do sell hot dogs here. Which that's <laughs> yeah. David Reed's special. Yeah, they do. Yeah, more they more do. of an American thing with hot David dogs, Reed. tacos, less, and everything. Less hipsterish. This needs to be your game day spot right here, Sixth and Peabody in Nashville. If you're coming to town. 
Uh, and, you know, we're tagging the Bengals on all of our posts here. So maybe we've got some people watching from Cincinnati. We'll get into uh, Titans and Bengals a bit later in the show and uh, the atmosphere that is expected for the uh, first playoff game here in Nashville as the Titans host uh, the, the Bengals. Um, the Look, the, the Cardinals, I'm trying not to overreact to what we saw, but this is now two years in a row where it's hard to believe the team we saw last night is the team who started the season red hot. And the NFL wants you to believe, and I, I do still believe, that the start of the season matters. September and October matter in the long-term run of things. Uh, it certainly mattered for the Titans to get off to the strong start that they did in order to lock up the number one seed late in the year. But with, with all that being said, the, the start of the season for Arizona the last two years have been really good, and then the collapses are really hard to ignore. And as you start to look around with Kingsbury and with Kyler Murray, you know they trade for Zach Ertz, and then for whatever reason, didn't try to feed him the football last night. Everything they were trying to attack deep, um, you know they they've got a a run game full of inconsistencies. Their defense is good in coverage, but they've got some linebackers who aren't really going after the contact all that much. At least I saw that last night in the run game. It's it's an offseason at a, a crossroads for Arizona and Kingsbury because you're right, Chad, going into the final year of his deal, you normally want to extend the coach prior to that. You know, you want to get the guy locked up and have a plan in place and not have a lame duck year where you're negotiating against yourself mainly uh, if, if you accomplish the goals that you set forth for your staff. But they, it's a situation where we could certainly see a new head coach in Arizona in 2023. I don't know if it's happening this year. But 2023, I mean, next year is the year, next season, for them to put it together. And we were seeing that this year. There was pressure on Kingsbury this year. And you thought the, the, the start that they would get off to would be enough. They're not the only ones, though. I mean, the Raiders are cleaning house. Well, and, and let me, let me uh, oh, yeah. stay with the Cardinals there uh, momentarily. You brought them up first. Um, I wouldn't put them, obviously, in the have-not category if we're talking about haves and have-nots in the league. And But you're right, Hutton, that there needs to be some soul-searching because of the crossroads that they're at. There needs to be some soul-searching with some really bad franchises and organizations in this league as well. Um, I, I was reading Bill Barnwell at ESPN, and he had every team that lost this weekend, the one thing they needed to do this offseason, the focus this offseason. And for the Cardinals, I found it interesting. Uh, basically, it was better depth, less stars. It said no one's going to blame the Cardinals for trading away David Johnson and getting DeAndre Hopkins or signing J.J. Watt. But the focus has been on the star players for the Cardinals, and they have a depth problem that a lot of times rears its ugly head late in seasons or over the course of a game. I found that interesting, but it's definitely a prove-it year, right, for for Cliff Kingsbury. Well, I I mean, mean, this is it. It's either re-up and get a contract extension based on how good they are next year or... You're going in a different direction. It starts by looking in the mirror because last night, you know, he's at the podium saying that maybe the guys just, you know, they're they're not used to or ready for playoff football. That's literally his job. His job is to get his roster ready for mo- and I, I would say this was trending in this direction prior to the start of playoff football. This is now two years in a row where his team has fallen uh, flat down halfway by by around Thanksgiving. They fall flat. 
and uh, correct it or, you know, as we like to say, GTFO. That's what's happening in, in Arizona there. Because they have the players. Yes. And that's, that's the big issue in Arizona. Well, you, the, and the Hopkins, you've got other situations that don't have either players or coaching the Hopkins in the injury, right spot. They have the players. The Hopkins injury did, did serve as part of the reason why the offense started sure. to stall. But again, like there, there are other ways to get pieces of that offense involved. And last night was all about trying to hit things deep, and they never adapted to getting Murray in any type of rhythm. Slow developing plays that you just can't do against the Rams front. Um, you know, the next team that comes to mind is Dallas. Dallas has now made it 11 straight playoff appearances without reaching the NFC Championship game. This is seven of the 11 now where they've been one and done. And the, the discussion about America's team and you know what, what's next for, for McCarthy, uh, Dak Prescott, and Ezekiel Elliott, they get their paydays, and they've got the pieces around them. The offensive line let them down in the playoff game. Meanwhile, defensively, you see the young pieces um, from the first and second level. I love the way Dan Quinn utilized Micah Parsons this year. Trayvon Diggs is an excellent player with 11 picks. They have pieces there. But are they real? Do you look at them and think, you know what? Now, after years of not achieving that next step on the staircase, this is the offseason. This is the year where they go pick up and, and move forward. We've bought into that so much that I think there needs to be a realization that there's got to be some type of shift internally within the organization to get over that hump. Because otherwise, it's just rinse and repeat. It's not like you're going to continue repeating everything that they've done and not expect it to happen again, right? Well, and I don't think that... Let's say, here's another, to me, something to watch for this Cowboys team now. You've got Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn getting multiple interviews for head coaching jobs. If one or both of their coordinators bolt for a head coaching opportunity, what does that do for the makeup of the Cowboys? And what I mean by that is, I, I don't always believe in change for change's sake, but there may be something to that with this Cowboys group. And I think Dan Quinn did a great job, especially with Micah Parsons, as, as you mentioned, Hutton. But if one of those guys leave, mm -hmm. does it force the Cowboys to think differently and in doing so gets them out of this rut of, I guess I'll say it, underachieving? Because yeah. that's a team that should have done better than they I mean, they're, they're in the playoffs hosting a playoff game. It's not all bad but they got to get out of this spot where they hit neutral. And, and it's happened too long. It, can a change for change's sake, even if it's one of those coordinators leaving voluntarily for a head coaching job, does that help the Cowboys change direction once they get to this point in their season? That's something I'm going to be watching. What direction do they go if Quinn or Moore or both leave for head coaching jobs? Yeah, all fair and, and a good question there. I mean, it, it, the other coach that comes to mind is Frank Reich in Indy and, and Chris Ballard in Indy. Ballard is a straight shooter with the media there. He, he sat down for an hour and just laid out how they went to Jacksonville and did not stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of the worst teams in the league. And their identity, I, I feel as though they wanted their identity to be one that adapted and, and, and uh, evolved with Wentz throughout the season when instead it should have just stuck through Jonathan Taylor. And I realized they were getting bulk carries to Taylor, but I don't think they were all in the way you should be with that run game versus the quarterback that's there. Wentz is, Wentz is skilled. 
He's a good quarterback. He's not great. And so in order to make up for that gap between good and great, they've got to have a great piece around him. And they do. They have one of the best backs in football. Not the best. One of the best running backs in football behind their quarterback that can make up for a lot of the deficiencies. Wentz's best asset as a passer is underthrowing receivers and getting defensive pass interference calls. He underthrows every deep pass he's, he attempts. And you know it's coming as a defensive back, and sometimes you, you still fall for it. And they get first downs off those penalties. I, I think that's his best gift as a passer because I don't trust him in the biggest moments. I know that they went on the road and won a big game against the Cardinals and went stepped up and made a big pass late. But that's few and far between. And Frank Reich and Wentz, to me, have the same type of mentality. And I think both could use a dose of the Ballard mindset, which is much more hard-hitting and honest instead of saying, okay, you know, this room guys, it just wasn't our year. Yeah, this room is terrific. It's all going to be about the great people in this room, and that's why we're going to be just fine, even though we had this monumental collapse at the end of the season. I, I'm with you on that, Hutton. And the more I think about Chris Ballard's comments in his postseason recap press conference, the more I think that Carson Wentz has no chance at continuing on uh, with the Colts. And he said mm-hmm. time and time again, what we need to stop putting a Band-Aid on this thing and trying to find a one- or two-year replacement. We got to find our guy you know, at, at different spots. But he's talking about quarterback I don't know if that means trade. Um, you know, you look at uh, someone we're about to talk about, Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, there are options out there that are probably moving on from their current starting job to go somewhere else. But there, we talked about soul searching. To me, that's the top of the list when you look at teams that need to do some soul searching top down, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. It's a complete rebuild and overhaul. And in, in Vegas with the Raiders, Mayox out. We knew Gruden was out. Basaccia did some great things, uh, really great things as the interim head coach. Um, all signs were pointed to them going through that thorough uh, coaching search. And then it started to trickle out as we were going off the air yesterday that the Raiders were putting in for uh, options at uh, interview interviewing potential general manager candidates. And at the time, Mayock had still not been fired. You, the writing was on the wall. He was going to be fired, and he was. Uh, soon after uh, 5 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Eastern last night, so around 3 o'clock Vegas time. Um, and then the final team that I that comes to mind for me is a surprising one, Pittsburgh. The Steelers aren't just losing their franchise quarterback, but Tomlin comes back and Kevin Colbert, their longtime general manager, is stepping down, retiring after the draft. So they're going to have new leadership. They'll hire from within. They'll be the, the next guy steps up the same way that their coaches always have. But now they're in search of that quarterback, and they don't have that dude on their roster. It's a good year for free agency that's about to happen. There are a lot of quarterbacks in the trade market this offseason. Russell Wilson is one of them. Um, I'm going through the list. Garoppolo's another one. There, there will be options for, for, for them. But um, do you also address it, address it in the draft? I, I think... They want more veteran leadership in that spot than just bringing a rookie in and and tossing him in there. But again, decision time in Pittsburgh, and normally we're not saying that. Well, and here's why I'm encouraged about the Steelers as opposed to these other teams is they know exactly who they are. They still have Mike Tomlin. um, The best in football. They still have TJ Watt, who's the best at his position in football that exemplifies the Steeler way. They've got Najee Harris, who I think is going to be a great Pittsburgh Steeler uh, in the run game. They know exactly who they are. You're not 
trying to, like you are in Indianapolis, figure out who you are, what you want to be, and get the right people with the right mindset in the room, you're trying to find a quarterback. It's really that simple in, in Pittsburgh. Whether you go the draft route and bring in a young guy or you trade for a top-level quarterback that might be available, that's why I'm way more encouraged about Pittsburgh's future because we've seen them be really good for years now, and it's that stability that gives me hope for Pittsburgh moving forward that it's not a complete reset. It's, you know, your old quarterback who couldn't do anything is going to retire. Now go find a quarterback and they're going to be just fine. And protect that new guy. Yes. You know, that's a big part of it. They've got to address their offensive line too. But again, decision time in Pittsburgh and how they do both of those things. And they'll do it post draft with the new GM. What about Garoppolo? I mentioned that he, He's possibly available in trade. I think everyone expects that he's on a different team next year, or or is he? Because right now, given the scenario, he's two wins away from his second Super Bowl in three years. That's next on Outkick 360. The San Francisco 49ers have been in playoff mode for the last two months. Their, their only loss over this stretch has been right here in Music City to the Titans. Welcome back to Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Jimmy Garoppolo... For all of the the negative vibes that you get about his injury history, and it's it's lengthy. I mean, the guy, the biggest question with Jimmy G is availability. He's got the banged up thumb, and now he's got a sprained shoulder uh, going into this game, throwing shoulder. But he's practicing. All signs point to him playing again. But when they made the trade up to the third overall selection. In last year's draft, Chad, we're live on the air as San Francisco makes the trade with Miami. Yep. And we we said at the time, you don't make a move like this unless you're going to get a quarterback. Now, we didn't know if it was Trey Lance or Mac Jones and who they were linked to. Ultimately, it's Trey Lance as Kyle Shanahan's heir to, to the quarterback position. And the writing was on the wall in April and May and June and so on. September, October. But... Here's Garoppolo leading the 49ers who have been in playoff mode for the last two months. And he missed a start through all this. So again, that plays into the injury storyline of it. But I don't see how if he makes another playoff run, even if he's on the doorstep of the Super Bowl, let's say he wins at Dallas and then takes the the show to Green Bay and they pull off a win, which we can get into later this week. They're built to win on the road. The question is, can they win at Lambeau? How do you how do you go into the offseason knowing, knowing that you're turning things over to Trey Lance? If if you've got Garoppolo under contract, which they do, and you've got an offense that is fully capable of running the Shanahan style and system with the weapons they have around him. It's a it is a weird decision given the draft capital they traded away to move up and get their guy to ensure they have Lance. And the idea that, and it's been hanging over Garoppolo's head all season. He's, he admitted last week prior to kickoff in Dallas, he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about when my last game was going to be here and it, whether or not I'd be traded this offseason and it where. It takes a superhuman level of confidence in your decision to trade up and draft Trey Lance. That's what it takes. If Jimmy Garoppolo wins another playoff game and beats the Packers in Lambeau, and let's say, as you mentioned, Hutton, the possibility of getting to a second Super Bowl, winning the NFC twice in three years, and going to a Super Bowl, if you were going to stick with your original plan and say so long to Jimmy at the end of this year 
and hello to Trey Lance. It takes a lot of confidence in that trade that you've done. Now, you could also argue that, well, that was done because of the injury problems and where we were a year ago, if you're the 49ers, and things have changed. And now Jimmy Garoppolo has led this team to a second Super Bowl in three years, so our plans change as things change. So it's, it's, it's one or the other. I'll applaud people that see different information and that made one decision, and they go back and say, well, maybe that wasn't the best decision. Things have changed. I'm willing to adapt and move on with a new decision. I also at times will applaud a team, a coach, an organization that says, no, we know exactly what we have in Trey Lance. We've worked with him all year. This guy is going to be a star quarterback in this league. We traded up to get him for a reason. And as great of a run as it's been for Jimmy Garoppolo, so long. It's Trey Lance's turn in San Francisco. It's going to be one of the more fascinating decisions to follow this offseason. Now, if he goes out and gets hurt again or looks like he's hurt or playing hurt against the Packers and the Packers win easily, I don't think it's a very difficult decision to make. I also think that privately, I would guess they would admit that they felt as though the decision makers and Shanahan and others, that Trey Lance would be ready to roll towards the end of the year, right? Like, typically you're looking at a Garoppolo who gets hurt and isn't able to finish. This year, they lose in Nashville on Thursday night football and have 10 days before their next game to get Lance ready because he didn't play the next week, Garoppolo. And it, it's clear Trey Lance is not ready. They go back to Garoppolo, who's got a wrap on his throwing thumb, and now is a sprained right shoulder. And according to reports, uh, the anticipation is he's going to be able to practice, which means he's practicing, he's playing. I, it's it's a weird spot. I think they would say now, you know, we thought he we we thought we'd know more about Trey Lance and his development than than where he currently is. I think the sign that they didn't just stick with him whenever they had the opportunity to turn it over to him due to injury is a sign that they need Garoppolo more than maybe they thought they would. Well, Kyle Shanahan is a media darling, and everyone who calls this game loves him and loves to uh, just rave about Kyle Shanahan. I like Kyle Shanahan also. This is Kyle Shanahan's opportunity to show if he's a genius or not. Because if they bring in Trey Lance and this offense, especially the passing offense, goes into a different stratosphere with Trey Lance as opposed to Jimmy Garoppolo, we're going to be looking back at Jimmy Garoppolo and saying, Man, that Kyle Shanahan won with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. <laughs> I mean, if Jimmy Garoppolo goes to Indianapolis, let's say, and he's very average to below and they're not winning, you're going to look back at Jimmy Garoppolo's record with the 49ers and say, Kyle Shanahan is a damn genius with what he got out of Jimmy Garoppolo. And then he brought in Trey Lance, and he's even better with Trey Lance. I, I, but you also, this is what you know, coaches and GMs too often, they don't want to look like an idiot by saying no to something they have or something they already know. You know or what Jimmy Garoppolo is. You know what you get with him. You know the risk of injury. But a lot of times, you'll take the evil you know as opposed to the risk of looking like an idiot for letting what you know go out the door. And that's what... I, San Francisco, with John Lynch and with Kyle Shanahan, just does not strike me as an organization that's going to let fear hold them back. They are 34-14 and 14 when Garoppolo starts, including the playoffs. And um, that, that raises the question. Someone brought this up in our YouTube chat also, and I just raised the question. Is that Garoppolo, or is that 
the organization, Shanahan, factors around him? And could that number be even better with a better quarterback? What they did with Trey Lance and trading up to get him tells me the organization believes we're going to be even better with better quarterback play. But and again, it's not because of they're thirty-four and fourteen with him, and Kyle Shanahan's teams without him are eight and twenty-eight when he's not available. That's a lot of games, though, where the guy's not available, and you paid a hundred million for him with the extension after you traded for him. Again, there are a lot of question marks there, but it's hard to deny Jimmy G and the record. And the last time they were in the postseason, the last time he was quarterbacking the 49ers this time of year, and they had to go through Green Bay, they won. They beat Green Bay on their road to the Super Bowl. Can he get them back there? If he does, it's really hard to just turn around and say, all right, Trey Lance, it's your turn. Headlines next on Outkick 360.